Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 166 for Monday, November 8th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and if, like us, you have been uh, warming your hands up here in the Northern Hemisphere as the weather starts to turn cold, then you might enjoy our Render Distance this week, where we've been talking about our preferred methods of staying warm, <laughs> how our houses are heated, and uh, what Joel likes to uh, cook out on the barbecue when the weather is getting a little chillier, and also uh, a little bit of Arcane on Netflix, uh, so a little a little preview of what Joel is going to be talking about in his, his expanded podcast universe a little bit later. But if you're interested in any of that, you can get the extended conversation at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? It's been a varied week for me, actually. I have, for a start, gotten very into Minecraft Bingo, uh, which is a game mode originally created by Logon111, I believe is the, the guy's name. Um, but the version I've been playing is an expansion and a sort of updating of that by a, a user named Neun Eisner. I, Einser. I'm, it's a German name that basically just means like 91, I think. Um, but the, the latest version that they've been working on is Bingo V5, and it's played in Minecraft 1.16.5. There's a very easy data pack download that we'll link in the show notes. You can get it from, from Neun Einser's GitHub. And um, Slice Lime has been playing it. Bruno Danoy has been playing it. Uh, both of those guys basically have been getting me into this as a as a game mode, which I remember playing back in the day with the decidedly vanilla crew ages ago. Um, and you can play it either competitively in teams, you can play it cooperatively, or you can play it in single player. You install the data pack in a fresh world. It sets up a lobby where you can generate a bingo card of 25 items, and then it sends you out into a random spot in a survival world to find them. You do the usual survival progression of getting yourself some early tools, but then the if you're playing in single player or, you know, playing competitively, you just have to try and scramble to get those items as fast as possible. And the items aren't purely random, as far as I can tell, like it has a set list of things. So the nether and the end aren't really figuring into it at all. It's not going to ask you to get dragon's breath or, uh, you know, a warped fungus or anything like that. Um, but it does occasionally ask you for stuff like Crying Obsidian, <laughs> um, in which case you have to find a ruined portal in the overworld to get hold of that and have some way to mine it or hope that you get lucky and find a block of Crying Obsidian in one of the loot chests. So there's some stuff like that that's really tough to get, but then there's stuff that's just like ink sacks and spider eyes and rabbit hide and some stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path. It does you know, that doesn't necessarily factor into the survival progression. It's much more like little niche items and things. But the world is set up so it has small biomes everywhere. So you run through biomes really quickly. You can find, you know, a snow plains and a jungle within a hundred blocks of each other. And it becomes much easier to just troll the world looking for stuff. And if you can find all 25 items within like an hour, then that's probably a decent time. But yeah, I've been going for you know, roughly 45 minutes as a goal and coming pretty close to that. So it's it's been a lot of fun trying that out this week. That sounds like a cool and different way to do a speed run, right? Yeah. So like rather than having the speed run be the same thing every time, which is beat the dragon, right? Mm -hmm. You can throw in some different methods, some different goals. And it reminds me of the kind of um, creator challenges that you've been doing with like Clash of the Creators and stuff yeah. when they have a data pack that's like, oh, you've got to collect these many items or uh, kill all the mobs on the list or stuff like that. 
Yeah, it's effectively that kind of thing, and and maybe like a little bit simpler, considering it doesn't have all of the custom advancement kind of stuff tied into it. It's much more just like go out and find these items, and and sometimes it's like azaleas uh, or no, acacia saplings because it's one sixteen five. There is no azalea, but like right. you know, it's it's jungle sapling or or birch sapling or something like that. And you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be easy. And then you look on the bingo card, and it's like a cake is one of them, <laughs> and you go, oh no, because. Like, I think the the most frustrating part of it is, A, when, you know, a certain mob just isn't dropping what it needs to drop. Like, you know, the rabbits who will drop absolutely everything except rabbit meat when cooked rabbit meat is one of the items <laughs> on your bingo card. Uh, right. and, and then it's stuff that takes a lot of ingredients and is a more complex thing that you either can't remember the recipe all that well or yeah in the case of the the cake it requires a chicken to lay an egg which if you don't find one randomly in the wild on world generation then you've got to find a chicken and then wait potentially five or six minutes for it to just lay an egg and if that's the last thing you need to do then you know your life is in that chicken's hands at that point but uh, it's been fun. It's been really good playing that and, and kind of, you know, comparing times with other people who've been playing it. So, uh, yeah, once again, we'll link that in the uh, the show notes this week in my section. So so check it out. Um, we also had a really cool event on Empire's SMP. We had a guest spot on the Love Tropics charity live stream, which uh, Love Tropics is an event that's organized uh, by the Tropicrafts uh, team and uh, Corey from Mojang, uh, who originally sort of developed Tropicrafts and... Uh, yeah, they, they've done this live stream several years running in which they raise money for a, you know, an environmental conservation charity uh, based around the, the tropics of the world. This year they were raising money for mangrove conservation uh, through OSA Conservation, which is uh, a charity that works in Costa Rica, helping to basically revitalize mangrove uh, areas in, in Costa Rica. And their goal was, I think, $50,000. They went on to raise over $52,000, which was incredible to be a part of. And uh, to kind of, you know, give people incentive to donate uh, for Empire's SMP, we built an Empire of the Viewers, kind of in the Spawn jungle, a little bit away from Spawn, but in the same biome. And we picked a big lake that we were able to fill with custom trees and bridges and pathways and little huts on stilts, which were all dedicated to people who were able to donate live on the stream. And it pretty quickly became something that we could barely keep up with. But there were about five or six of us plus Corey in the world just kind of getting stuff built. And the it's the first time I've really done like a group build project on that sort of scale for a while and we were all just kind of constantly doing stuff but it was a super fun time and you know big thanks to anybody from the community who came out to support both our stream and the the charity in general because it seems like a a fantastic cause especially something to celebrate now that mangroves are being added to minecraft in the wild updates so uh was was super fun um, well, that's and that's something that Corey was talking about at Minecraft Live, right? Yes, the, that specific conf, like project coming up and the specific OSA conf, cons, uh, conservation of the mangrove trees, because he was talking about how much impact mangrove trees have positive, positively on the environment, right? Yeah, yeah, and and he clearly knows a lot about them, having studied them both for this and for their inclusion in Minecraft. Uh, you know, <laughs> his his new favorite word is propagules. Uh, right. <laughs> which which is the what we're getting in terms of uh, mangrove saplings and it it's it's so interesting all of it but uh, but either way we were able to raise a bunch of money for a good cause so incredibly happy with that 
Uh, on the flip side, work on my own stuff on Empires is slowing down a little bit because we've instated this system where there is a crown and whoever holds the crown at the time uh, gets to make a rule for the entire server. The crown changed hands uh, this week and Scott Smajor is now in charge and he has basically outlawed Elytra or at least made it so that people have to come to him for permission to use Elytra on the server. And so while the rest of us are effectively grounded, I have been finding it very difficult to work on the upper slopes of this mountain project, the ant hill that I've been <laughs> building at my base. Um, I already tried to get up there once just using Riptide and immediately fell to my death. So uh, I'm working on pathways and stuff this week and hoping that somebody um, yeah, maybe takes care of Scott so that the rules can change and I can put my wings back on. Um, one last note, uh, because people will have seen it pop up on their subscription feeds if they follow me on YouTube. I have officially now retired my hardcore world. As I've been saying in the last kind of couple of episodes, it wasn't really going anywhere for me and I could see the clock ticking between now and 1.18 coming out and I didn't really see the, the hardcore survival guide world going anywhere. So uh, I made a video kind of announcing that that was wrapping up so that I could focus on some other stuff, focus on empires and um, still working on the original Minecraft survival guide world for an eventual download. So yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a mixed bag, but I feel like as a result, I've done a ton of stuff this week. Well, I think that's the thing too, is that as a content creator, you have to focus on what's fun, right? And if something mm -hmm. starts to feel like it's just taking up your time when you could be devoting other time into stuff that's more fun, maybe even doing better or will help you ride that tide, you know, between now and the next update, like you should focus on that. And I think that that's, it's good to know when to, when to pull away from a project, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like I've, I've always thought that there's, there's a kind of like maturity uh, in sort of knowing when a project has had its time. And in this case, the hardcore stuff just wasn't working for me. I was feeling like I, you know, was playing too cautiously for it to be fun for people to watch and I was mm. also playing at a speed where I didn't really feel like the tutorial aspect of it was particularly fun for me because then I'm missing out on all of the little stuff that I like to get done in between that I think is actually quite a vital part of Minecraft as an experience so I think it felt good ultimately to kind of let that project go and and tell people that it was happening because a lot of the time you let, you let projects like that fade into obscurity when it's for, for YouTube content, but I felt like it deserved something of a uh, of a send-off. So now that's done, I can refocus on other things. Uh, how about you? How's the Citadel this week? So I've been working on the main gate road again. Um, I did a lot of framing, a lot of kind of like nothing that's really worth a screenshot so much last week because it was mostly just like wireframes and blocks that were not going to be there long term. Uh, but this weekend was mostly filling in those roofs. Uh, I didn't do any interior design because I really wanted the street to feel done walking down it. And I'll, I'll get to the insides, but I just I wanted to make sure that the roofs got finished first. And mm -hmm. I find that sometimes when you're in that roof zone, it's best to keep going. <laughs> and just yeah. like, if you've got one and you're happy with it, build two more. Just yes, do no, it. As, because... <laughs> as somebody who hates doing roofs, I entirely understand. Because like, yeah, yeah if, if you've got a rhythm for stuff like that, that's something that can be hard to recapture later on. So yeah, 100% agree. And it's not like I make it easy for myself. I've got these buildings that are on slight angles, like, you know, it's five blocks and then it shifts in by a block and then it's another four blocks. Or, uh, And I found that I've had to adjust the original um, floor plans of these houses because uh, the roof just looked odd with, I was trying to fit a dormer on a roof section that had an even number of blocks. 
which means that the dormer had to be two blocks wide and looked massive. Like it just, it just looked huge. So I was like, yeah. okay, on this scale, I need to switch the roof sections so that they're in five and three as opposed to four and four. And that way, you know, I can get in there and make single block dormers. And I've used some calcite in a couple of builds. I'm happy with the spruce roof. I've managed to make it look not like other spruce roofs I've got. Um, I'm resisting the urge to go back and change other buildings on the street. I'm going to have to do a little bit, but like the roofs are getting better. And the first roofs I did like in January of last year, not the best. Mm -hmm. you know? So I want to, I'm being tempted to go back and look at them. Um, I had a tower behind one of the builds and that, that was helping to break up kind of like the path of the eye. And one thing that I'm trying to do with all of this is creating those, those wipe effects as you walk down the street, something tall that's close to you kind of like goes past your view and either reveals or combs across something in the background. And the tower mm -hmm. does that where it kind of like it, as you walk down the street, it kind of sweeps across the giant keep that's up on the hill behind it. And that's a really useful tool. You'll see a lot in filmmaking. It happens a lot in game design when you're coming through a, a forest road. And as you walk by this great big tree, you then are revealed, you know, the, the scene of the meadow out in front of you or the, or the yeah. city in the distance, like that kind of stuff. And so I'm trying to use the roof lines and use the design of these buildings to try and entice the player to continue to explore and also like not build them so big or so far out into the street that one building blocks the other. So there's a bit of a challenge there trying to get new shapes. I'm happy with the dormers and the roofs. Um, I'm not entirely sold on the textures of the lower level. So like the street level stuff, I'm not sure if I'm keeping the deep slate bottom to the dark oak roof or the calcite bottom to the spruce roof because they just feel very stark. And I mean, the, the opposite of that is like, well, everything else on the street is stone. Do I want more stone, <laughs> like more gray? Mm -hmm. It's andesite, cobble, or, or stone brick. Like those are my options. So uh, I'm trying to be a little bit different, but at the same time, I'm also feeling like it's it's a little bit too different. It's a, it's a strange battle to be fighting in your in your head creatively um but but it's come together and the the city street now feels great with houses on both sides i really like the 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 box in that you feel everything's interesting but it feels like the street is just so wide you know uh alleyways are starting to form uh secret entrances and ideas for back courtyards and um i'm gonna try to figure out how to get up into the tower i want to make sure that i can at least a player can like walk up a set of stairs inside of that. So that's going to be a challenge. Um, but yeah, so far it's, so far it's good. I just, I'm, I'm just jonesing for more options, I think in terms of something that will fit in the bottom. And some of that is just that I've decided to build this in a medieval style where, you know, stone is kind of like the way things go. Yeah. And so you have to, if you, unless you want to use deep slate or regular stone, then there's just not a lot going. I tried some other blocks, but they just ended up not looking right. So We'll have to see. I'm going to have more freedom on the other side of the town because that is going to um, have fancier houses. Uh, some people made some cool block suggestions this weekend and on stream. And I was like, yeah, that's a cool idea. But like prismarine for a roof in this section of town feels kind of fancy. Where yeah. I totally intend to use like warped wood and prismarine and some of the other stuff on the fancier side of town when there's like, you know, three story houses and and fancier shops and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to to save that stuff for later and then also kind of figure out how am I going to transition from one 
one area to the next it should be interesting but so far it's so good I'm, I'm happy with the way that's coming together are you finding you're getting yourself like cut off a little bit you're talking about boxing things in with houses on either side of the street are, are you missing any like shortcuts that you used to take over this area because i know that happens to me all the time i build something and then i'm like oh i remember that i used to just walk straight from here to here and now there's this big house in the way and i can't do it anymore uh not so much that because there's a giant river that kind of cuts through the middle of the town and oh, so right. i always have to walk around that or fly over it and so that's not something I, I see a lot of. Although I also have planned all the alleyways. Like because I, in some cases, I don't want the roofs to always be touching. And when you do that, you ultimately leave like a couple of blocks between buildings. And I, I do have, you can sort of see it in one of the screenshots we shared, uh, right to the left of the spruce house, there's a, looks like a three block wide alleyway. That's actually a, a functional pathway to the bottom of the keep, which is where my storage is. Uh -huh, so I'm right. always yeah. going in and out of there, right? That's where I have all my shulker boxes. That's where I've got the storage system, the bulk storage for refilling stone and andesite and all that stuff. And so I, I, I left that, that was put in first. And then the other houses were fit in around that <laughs> to yeah. make sure that I didn't block it off. Cause yeah, that would, that would be a pain. I'm trying to think if I did anything on the other side in the market square, I feel like maybe, Maybe having to walk around all of the, like the butcher shops and stuff to get to some of the other wall builds has been a little bit tedious. But I also tend to put um, houses that go in the way, they tend to have back doors. So mm. then I just walk through the house instead of going through an empty spot. It's just like, well, I go in the front door, out the back door, and I'm in the same place. Uh, I really like the natural planned quotation marks uh, pathways that I have going through the build because... It's not like I planned out every pathway, but I've just always on the lookout for, oh, hey, this staircase kind of leads right down to this wall. I could just put a door here and then, hey, cool, we've got a back door, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm just kind of like keeping my eyes out for happy accidents and opportunities like that and then trying to make them work. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes you're like, well, that, that would work if this thing was one block lower, but it's not, so I'm not going to force it. Uh, but other times you're like, ooh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, the secret passageway underneath the pub. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Just complete accident, but really enjoy the fact that it's there. I guess the alternative is setting up like Assassin's Creed style walkways and kind of planks connecting the houses oh, yeah. and stuff and just kind of <laughs> like parkouring your way around the server in a more literal sense than we use the term parkour in Minecraft in general. But, that would uh, be cool, actually. I should try to add that because you could do that with like spruce trapdoors. Yeah, a little, little bit of rooftop running. I think it uh, it yeah. makes a lot of sense, especially in a city like that where, you know, you, you start to think about the lore of stuff like that and maybe there are urchins who scamper across the rooftops delivering messages to people or, you know, the the kind of the criminal underground actually is an overground and usually over people's heads. I feel like there's, uh, there's certainly opportunities for stuff like that if you uh, find yourself in need of ways of getting around. But it sounds like you've done enough civic planning beforehand that that's no longer really a problem. No, it's, it's the planning really helps. Like, I mean, I have to tip my hat to watching some older uh, whip videos and he redoes these from time to time and, and adds new ideas and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the way that he plans out a city and how he breaks it down in his videos and, and shows you the top down, like, um, I think he uses colored concrete to delineate different houses and different areas yeah, and foundations yeah. and that kind of stuff changes over time. You don't have to stick to it, but boy, does it help in the grand scheme. And you're trying to think about scale and where things are going to go. And like, uh, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of things later on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, how about we get into this week's news? 
Sounds like a plan. Uh, this week, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W44A has been put out. We've added new world generation below existing chunks and blocks and fluids and are also part of the simulation distance setting. We also fixed a few bugs. Keep in mind that we're still working on the world upgrades, so making a backup before upgrading is still a good idea. That is obviously a quote from the blog post on Minecraft.net that we will have linked in our show notes. New features in 21W44A. New world generation is now inserted under existing chunks when upgrading a world to the new world height. Added an online options screen where you can now find the realms notifications options and difficulty when on a server. Added, quote unquote, allow server listings option for opt out of having your name displayed in server listings. You should note that when you join a server, you're still going to be displayed as normal. Changes in 21W44A, sleeping now only resets the weather cycle if it was raining. Blocks and fluids are now also affected by simulation distance. It might be a good idea to test that the behavior of your redstone contraptions has remained the same. Uh, and optimized entity collisions is also something that's been changed. Fixed bugs in 21W44A. A full list of the bugs, of course, will be in the Minecraft.net article. But sleeping always reset the time until the next rainfall has been changed. Mobs specific to structures were not spawning in their structures. That's bad. That's good that that's changed. Foxes couldn't spawn on podzol or coarse dirt. And new mountain biomes, deep oceans, windswept biomes, and old growth biomes didn't count towards the adventuring time advancement that's been changed. We also have a new Minecraft launcher. Uh, the Minecraft launcher has now uh, made its debut on Xbox Game Pass and PC, so both Java version and the Windows uh, 10-11 Bedrock version have been hitting that service and now can be unified into one launcher. Players who download Minecraft or play via the Xbox Game Pass for PC will play through the unified Minecraft launcher that handles both Java and the Bedrock editions. Uh, we had a Bedrock beta this week. Uh, Bedrock edition beta 1.18.0.25 was released. There's nothing major in this in terms of features, nothing like the uh, skulk blocks being added a couple of weeks ago, so nothing much to cover here. It largely is just bug fixes, minor tweaks for gameplay, and a little bit of world generation stuff. If you're an Android user and you're into the, the beta side of things, if you're part of the beta program, you might want to take a look at this changelog, though, because there are a couple of adjustments to fit Google's new API requirements. They've had to roll back the API while they make sure it's compliant with the way certain files are stored, and so uh, you might need to make sure that you either back up your worlds or don't uninstall Minecraft until the next beta comes out, because apparently there's some issues with file storage and some stuff might end up getting lost as a result. Result. But once again, that's only if you're an Android user with the most recent Bedrock Edition beta. Uh, a full list of changes will be in our show notes at the feedback.minecraft.net website with that latest Bedrock Edition beta changelog. Um, we also had a little bit of activity on Twitter, mostly from Henrik Nieberg, who was talking about experimenting with what Amplified might mean in the context of new 1.18 world gen. We'll link a couple of his tweets. There are some fantastic screenshots of what Amplified Worlds could potentially look like now that this new approach to terrain has been taken. And if you thought the new mountains were mountainous, some of this stuff will kind of blow your mind. It might look fairly familiar to people who've been playing Amplified before, but there is definitely a bit more of a 118 spin on it, especially 
in how the game seems to generate caves. So really interesting from Henrik on Twitter this week. Definitely check that out if you feel like uh, heading on over to his Twitter page. Those images on on Twitter looked monstrous. Yeah. Um, I've always felt like Amplified felt a little bit shattered. Like I, I always felt like it felt more game generated it didn't look so much natural still cool mm-hmm. looking but yeah. it always felt more fantastical um but just pushing that to the limits of what what the game can do now with the new world height is is pretty cool looking yeah i mean you got to consider that the new world height is 320 and normal terrain in a default world will only get up to 256 before it caps off so with amplified like the limiters have been taken off of that i presume and you'll see biomes that don't normally conform to those kind of extreme heights or where the game would decide, okay, if it gets this high, it needs to be some kind of mountain. Like, all of that has been taken away and replaced with, like, giant cliffs and overhangs in Mesa generation and, like, roofed forests and stuff like that all, all kind of getting the same treatment. So really cool to uh, to see that being worked on. And I think reassuring to people who liked the customization of worlds in previous iterations of Minecraft, but have found those options taking a back seat now that, you know, this new terrain generation has been worked on. Um, I think a lot of people really liked that aspect of Minecraft and its customizability. And so while that stuff is still accessible via data packs, it's kind of good that they are thinking there still need to be an option like Amplified for people who want to just launch that straight from vanilla with no modifications whatsoever. Um, so again, thanks to Henrik for sharing those screenshots. Uh, pretty impressive, um, even though the default worlds have caught up to the scale of what we considered Amplified before. Um, do we do we know if Badlands are getting any kind of like height adjustments and stuff? Because I know that there's a lot of light being shone on like lofty peaks and snowy peaks and the big stone mountains. But I mean, like I've I've been in places where um, the sandstone cliffs are absolutely massive, and it would be awesome if that was something that could come over into Minecraft and in something like the eroded Badlands or Badlands could have a little bit more oomph to them in terms of the 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 height that some of those cliffs have i mean the the amplified train is extreme like i'm not saying that but like it would be nice if if some of the um the badlands in minecraft were just a little bit more extreme yeah the the stuff that he's sharing in these screenshots almost looks kind of like what i was seeing in the bedrock edition beta that i played last when they first added in the uh the extremes of terrain i don't know if it's going to look that way in java or if the you know the bedrock stuff might have been just one iteration that got changed a little bit afterwards but um yeah i think a lot of the time when terrain gets that high it becomes stony peaks in those warmer areas like badlands so yeah maybe we'll see a bit more kind of extreme badlands generation but yes certainly not on the scale that we saw from from henrik on twitter um have you had a chance to like upgrade to the new launcher or move over to the new launcher i haven't played with it because i got the notification that there's a new launcher you should try it out and i'm five minutes away from hitting go live on twitch i'm just like "Mm, not right now yeah Uh, and and i i have faith that the launcher works fine it's that other software that i have for for streaming is probably not gonna know what the heck is going on so it's like i'll just i'll test that out on my own some other time i i only ever played java and i I only ever play the one install right now, so it's not like I need a single launcher to manage Bedrock and Java and different yeah. versions of Java, like that kind of stuff. So I'm okay for now. I think it's it's a move that's been taken just to simplify things for people who may not be as experienced with, you know, running multiple versions of a similarly named program. Like I had no problem launching 
Minecraft as a, a single entity before this, you know, so it was not not a not a big problem. The new launcher is functionally identical to the old one for the record. It has uh, Windows 10 edition, Bedrock edition, just kind of there in the sidebar, but that's something we already saw them do when Minecraft Dungeons was added to the, the Java edition launcher and those two were integrated. So it's not going to look too different for people. I think the thing is, in the the article about it, it seemed like it was more of a an, an option for Game Pass players to use. Whereas if you load up the regular Java Edition launcher now, um, it will tell you, hey, there's a new launcher, you should download it. And so it's being kind of advertised more broadly so that everybody is using the same thing, presumably for the ease of the development of it in future. But the problem is... It has a couple of teething problems. Like I said, functionally, it is exactly the same. Visually, it is exactly the same. But it's like installing the launcher for a second time. And the initial install doesn't copy over your saved profiles from the previous Java Edition Minecraft launcher. So while it doesn't delete anything, it kind of looks as though it's forgotten your accounts and your settings and different installations like, you know, if you're using Optifine or you have older versions of Minecraft or snapshot versions of Minecraft as separate profiles in your launcher, none of that is going to copy across by default. Um, I expect the team is working on that because obviously it's a bit of a, uh, a misstep and has confused a couple of people who've, you know, been using the, the regular Java launcher for a while now and have lots of different installations. Um, I want to thank Saranint from our community who pointed me to the fix for this when I ran into the problem myself. Um, rather than taking the time to set up all of your profiles again individually, you can open up your .minecraft folder and look for launcher underscore profiles dot json. Uh, that is basically a, a text file, more or less, that, that um, the launcher looks for in determining where all of your profiles and stuff are stored and what they point to in terms of different Minecraft versions when you click play. Um, there is another version of that file now, which is launcher profiles Microsoft Store.json. And if you basically make a copy of just the regular launcher underscore profiles file, uh, you know, copy that to your desktop, rename it with the Microsoft Store file name and just overwrite the Launcher Profiles Microsoft Store that's in your .minecraft folder with the renamed one, um, then that will just load all of your profiles in. It basically just needs all of that data that was stored by the original launcher and it didn't want to overwrite or replace it with the Microsoft Store version, but it just didn't pull its information from there by default. Um, so yeah, it, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a process, but it will save you a lot of time if you just grab one file and use it to overwrite the, the other file. Um, so yeah, once again, thanks to Saranint for, uh, for pointing me to that because that saved me a lot of time installing the instance that I needed for, for Optifine, for the snapshots, for Empire's SMP. And in terms of where it then looks for all of the files, all of your saved worlds, like that it's still loading up the same minecraft it was loading before so none of that information is going to be gone hopefully it hasn't caused any confusion with people thinking that their minecraft has been deleted by the new launcher it hasn't it just needs to know where to look for all of your files in the first place christopher in the chat is asking why it would be better and i think it's just a, it's a simple marketing speak to encourage people to download the new one and I think for anybody that might be coming in new or trying Minecraft because they have a subscription to Xbox Game Pass, 
it helps illustrate the fact that for the one Xbox Game Pass fee, you have access to both Java and Bedrock. You don't have to purchase them separately. Yeah. Um, and I correct me if I'm wrong. Is that now true across the board? Like if you buy Java, do you just get access to Bedrock? Like if you just, you're, just, you're just buying Minecraft now, even if you're not an Xbox um, Game Pass subscriber? I'm not certain. I would have to look at Minecraft.net and the purchase yeah. flow now to, to really take a look at it. But it, it makes sense if that is the case, because if they're offering access to it through services like Game Pass, then it kind of makes sense that you buy just one Minecraft and you get access to everything. But I don't know. I, that, that may not be the case. I don't want to don't want to quote it here on the uh, on the podcast unless I'm, right. I'm wrong. Yeah. I, and because I don't spend any time in Bedrock, I, I don't know. I haven't spent much time in the snapshot this week either. Uh, I did watch a couple of community videos about the the upgrade process for old worlds because that was the thing that interested me the most, but I don't really have any old worlds that I'm worried about doing that with. Uh, Mainly just from a community perspective, I wanted to see how it worked. And it seemed like there are still a few wrinkles to iron out. Uh, Point point you guys to um, Azuma's video where he pointed this out. it seems like caves below Y0 in old chunks. Now that they are generating the cave formations and stuff, it works. But they are generated with stone and not deep slate. Uh, so the the below zero uh, landscape looks kind of similar to the above zero landscape, albeit with new cave carvers and everything. Um, and there's also a layer of deep slate that replaces the bedrock, but it replaces the bedrock as it was before. So a completely flat layer at Y0 and then new caves below that so there are no cave entrances generating to some of the new stuff you genuinely do have to dig down into it um i assume that is going to change or at least that you know the deep slate thing i assume will be fixed because that's not intended i don't know for certain if they are going to create new tunnels through the bedrock or if that's the kind of thing that once the bedrock is replaced by deep slate you're just going to have to dig down to find new caves um i i think it's probably tricky because there may be people who've built stuff that low down in the world that they don't want to overwrite somehow but either way it seems like things are progressing well like it's on the right track so far yeah i mean i'm you know it it seems like some of the other bugs that they're talking about are are smaller you know Mm -hmm. like spawning things and like not not necessarily big bugs to i mean important bugs to fix but they don't look like they're complicated bucks to fix it it looks like they're crossing crossing their t's and dotting their i's and then still the the big the big elephant in the room that they're trying to iron out it looks like to me is is the blending of old chunks and stuff yeah so it it feels like we're getting closer to a potential release for for 118 although i expect that the refinement considering the scope of it is probably going to take a while yeah i'd I'd expect so like you know we we probably won't see a new version in the next like we'll we'll see snapshots but probably not like a release candidate for the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. at least um i mean after that who knows uh but uh, yeah i i think i think we'll probably see a couple more iterations on blending and it's good that stuff like yeah the the most standout bug from the changelog for me was uh, mobs not spawning around their structures I, i've seen a few people building in snapshot worlds or exploring snapshot worlds and not encountering guardians around ocean temples, although elder guardians are still there because they spawn with the structure. But most notably, you run into a pillager outpost and there's no pillagers there. It kind right. of, you know, defeats the point of the structure being there in the first place if its spawning radius doesn't exist around it. So, yeah, good to know that those are being attended to. And the the interesting one from changes in this snapshot really 
uh, from a survival perspective, obviously the simulation distance thing is is a big one for technical players. But uh, I think the average survival player is going to be most affected by sleeping, not resetting the weather cycle unless it's been raining while you were sleeping. So, like, it, it's something that I like and dislike about being able to just sleep constantly and not having to worry about rain because rain isn't all that friendly to making YouTube videos in terms of video compression um, because of the constant kind of falling particles. But also, you know, people don't like being out in the rain necessarily. And in video game terms, it doesn't affect things all that much. But on the flip side of that, um, you know, it also meant that you could never really encounter thunderstorms. So you don't get to play around with stuff like lightning rods or charging creepers or any of that stuff. Because if you're sleeping more consistently to avoid stuff like phantoms popping up in the world, then you never get to that day when it starts raining. So I think from a gameplay perspective and from a world immersion perspective, it makes a lot of sense. From a quality of life perspective, on the other hand, I, I'm not certain. <laughs> I don't know quite how I feel about it, but I think overall it's a, a good change to have come to the game at last. I might change my tune after a number of rainy days in the medieval world, but I, like I sleep so often for that reason. You know, like I'm often creating content, so it's dark. It's hard to see what I'm doing. I'm building in an area where I've not built torches down, so it, it's going to be better for me to sleep immediately uh, and just get back into the sunshine and, and continue building. So as a result, I very rarely see rain. Uh, and what will happen sometimes is that um, I'll end a stream, I'll pause the game, or I'll like, you know, I'll go to a safe AFK spot and then I'll come back in 10 minutes or so to take a screenshot and it's raining and I'll have my shaders on and it looks really cool. And I was yeah. like, you know, I the novelty of, of a rainy day in a medieval town uh, as the builders come together is pretty pretty neat because I don't see rain very often in, in Minecraft. Um, but I also know that if it's a thunderstorm, I can skip it. But if it's not a thunderstorm, you're kind of stuck with it. So I, I wonder if they'll ever like add a survival mechanic because we all know that there's the command to, you know, weather clear and it just it'll go away if you're in creative mode but um but if you're in survival i wonder if they will ever ever do like some sort of like sacrifice an item to a stone or do like do something <laughs> like that to then be like i'm done with the rain could we just not have the rain and like if you've got the weather stone in your build you can just walk up and give it redstone or a diamond or something and it'll just like magically clear the to sunny skies for the next you know two days or something yeah be tap, fun. Tap tap a lodestone with a stick or something like that and yeah like mm. i i think it, it's it's going to be interesting to see if that's something they're going to work on after this change has been introduced because yeah i i do kind of wonder if people are just going to get tired of it but this is more or less the way it worked on bedrock edition already so it's not that much of a change for the broader player base. It's mainly Java players who are going to be affected by this. Right. And realistically, if it starts raining at the start of your next Minecraft day, all you got to do is wait 10 minutes for the sun to go down. And if it's still raining, sleeping will clear the weather. So at that point, it can reset the weather cycle and you get sunny weather again. It's not like sleeping in a bed doesn't affect the weather at all. Um, so thankfully, we can still clear off the rain if we need to. It's just going to be a matter of waiting for an opportunity to do that um it's not going to be instant but are there any mods out there or or data packs that have like different versions of rain like i know if you go up high when it's raining you get snow but like is there any like light sprinkle hard downpour like sideways typhoon <laughs> rain because that would be kind of interesting to have like different kinds of rain in the game 
There are a couple of weather mods out there. I've seen a few groups play with them. The kind that, if you configure them right, can effectively cause things like natural disasters and, like, trees will be uprooted and things. So oh, wow. you can get weather that acts a little bit more realistic, you know, blows a few leaves around at its mildest, and then, yeah, it kind of, you know, pushes players around a little bit as though you're standing in a water stream if you're uh, if you're standing still. Um, so those mods do exist, but... I doubt that that's the kind of thing they'd want to implement in Minecraft long term because I expect the amount of variety that would cause would just be a little too unpredictable for how complex we want that to be compared to the rest of the game. Like, Minecraft right. visually is simplistic enough, although we all know there's a lot more going on under the hood, that I feel like a more complex weather system might be detrimental to the overall feel of the game. But it's it's something that could see some expansion in future. Be interesting to see it. What do you think we move on to some chunk mail? Yes, we got one very interesting email to read this week. And if you'd like to email the show with something interesting of your own, you can always email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, this one comes in from Garrett D, and the subject is a music teacher's take. Hey, Joel and Johnny. As a music teacher by profession, I have a couple of thoughts on the Allay. What if the Allay already made a pitch with a certain timbre when you found them in the world? Interacting with one could open up a GUI where you can equip an item, and it also shows their pitch on the Grand Staff with a material type. Think villagers or horses with saddles and armor. We have a, a graphical representation of this, which you'll be able to see if you look at the, the email in our show notes this week. Um, but the grand staff is, you know, the, the treble clef, the bass clef, and the series of lines on which notes are placed for people to be able to read standard musical notation. Um, for example, uh, Garrett continues, uh, if I find an allay in the wild that's making a pitch of G4 on a bell set, I have two options. One, I interact with it to give it an item only. The allay will then start bringing that item to me. Or option two, interact with it to give it an item and then see the G4 on the grand staff in its GUI and see a gold block. I can then build a collection area with a bell set, which is the, the gold underneath a note block, uh, which will match what's in the LA's GUI. This would be made easier if Noteblocks themselves had a GUI that opened and showed a tunable grand staff. A music teacher's dream come true, as it would introduce the concept of standard notation, which is a system used worldwide, into the game. This would also act as an in-game way to help explain Noteblock mechanics to players, as interacting with allays would teach the player what materials to put under Noteblocks to get the sounds they hear the allays making in the wild. Obviously, I'm probably overlooking some things when it comes to accessibility, and I won't even start to pretend what this could mean in terms of programming, but I think it could be a cool feature that more strongly connects the allays to in-game music while building on music education in terms of notation. I also think it would throw a bone to people asking for music making birds in the world, since you all of a sudden have wild allays making a lot of random notes from a lot of random instruments, and would require exploration and breeding to get new or different ones. As always, enjoy the podcast and staying chunky, Garrett D. Thank you very much, Garrett. And a, a longer email this time, but a very considered one, and one that it'll be super fun for us to unpack here. I've always thought that the note block could use a GUI. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think going around the horn, quote unquote, like an old TV with a dial on it. Yes, I used to have one. Um, <laughs> when you want to change, when you want to change the channel, it just, it's really annoying. Uh, you misclick once and then you've got another 24 clicks to get back to where you were. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons that I don't mess with note blocks and making music, music much in, in Minecraft. 
Uh, I've done it a couple of times, but really not not my my favorite thing to do. Uh, so a, a GUI in Noteblocks, I think, would make a huge difference. Um, we've seen some recent upgrades for things like that in the Villager workstations, like the um, the Loom, for example, for banners. Yeah, uh, is, is, a, is a good good example of an of a improved you know banner interface for that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, like I flip flop on this. Like I like the idea of a programmable allay, right? Through music, it's it's right on par with what they've given us so far in terms of what we know that they like the note blocks, they like the music. Um, but I wonder if it might end up being too complex. So I did a little bit of digging, and there are eighteen notes on the grand staff. Now that's not half notes; that's your just your your full your full notes. Minecraft note blocks have twenty five half tones covering two full octaves. Mm-hmm. So there are 16 different instruments in Minecraft that the note block can play, which means that there are 400 different combinations for programming an delay to say like G4, you know, bell set. So gold block G4, that could be G5. You know, there, there could be a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's too many. Um with the, the grand staff having 18 notes, I think that would translate to 36 half tones. I might be incorrect there. Um, and that would mean 900 combinations of programmable allays. Again, cool sounding, but I don't know, you know, we were just talking about how complex of a weather system do you want in Minecraft? Like how complex of a of a system do you want for these allays? They might become the most complicated thing in Minecraft if you go down this route. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the idea of having that kind of control and having some sort of programmable lay blue man group performing in your Minecraft <laughs> world. Like there's some, the possibilities for creativity and also for the tech community, I think is really up there. So there, I think there's probably some halfway point that that could become really useful. See for this, I'm, I'm kind of torn between two aspects of this email. First of all, the note block GUI idea. Um, it could be very useful, especially as, as Garrett kind of frames this from a musical education perspective um, and I feel like that rubs up against the idea that Mojang probably wants it to be a more tactile experience. And it, it's it's kind of putting everybody on a level playing field, because obviously people who understand musical notation will have a lot easier of a time interacting with note blocks if they have a GUI with a programmable stuff than people who don't really understand musical notation and may even be put off by the sight of musical notation because they will immediately dismiss it as a system they don't understand right now. And obviously, you know, people should leave themselves open to learning new stuff like that. But for some folks, uh, for some folks, it will be like, you know, they, they don't really want to interact with it at all. And, and so it, it risks making things a bit too visually complex i think mojang wants it to be a more tactile you know you hit it to change the note kind of thing because that's something that you know people of a variety of ages can do you could take both approaches of course but then opening a note blocks gui compared to tuning it becomes a a bit more of a complicated experience um and currently the graphic output of the note block is tied to color so as you tune up a note block as it goes through the 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 kind of semitones you end up with um you know different colors on a kind of spectrum and it loops back around i think at least once but either way if you have an allay making a note that uses the same graphic to represent it in the world so an allay is singing say in in Garrett's example, a, a G4, 
um, then if you match the color of that to the color that the note block is outputting, then even if you are slightly tone deaf, you might be able to match those up. Unfortunately, that also has accessibility downsides for people who are colorblind or, or visually impaired. So there are there are a couple of issues with it from either perspective. Then again, I do really like the idea of each LA being randomly assigned a preferred note or instrument or even them being trained, but I do like the idea of them having like one specific note that they like to sing. And maybe they don't have to hear that specific note to be attached to a note block, but it allows for, uh, if you'll forgive the term, fine-tuning. Uh, it, it kind of adds to the, the challenge and also the possibilities of setting them up with a larger storage system. If, you know, one allay will just go to whatever note block you throw down because it likes the sound of any kind of music but then if you have lots of different note blocks it will know which one to go to based on the note it's producing and the instrument that it's producing that note in i like that and i i also just from a a general minecraft survival wandering around in the forest perspective i love the idea of a bunch of allays just kind of singing different notes at you from the trees in this sort of music making birds that that Garrett was mentioning like I I think that has a lot of kind of uh a lot of potential almost from like an ambience perspective of a way of encountering a a creature like this in the wild so there's there's a lot of potential in the allay and that's one of the reasons I thought it was such a good choice for the for the mob vote but it remains to be seen how complex Mojang wants to make it and how easy or difficult it is to convey to players that they can interact with a note block to do the same thing. I do like the idea of the grand staff being international, right? It's like yeah. it's like math being a universal language, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so rather than using like a piano keyboard or, you know, the like just the the colors and the notes like they actually go with. I mean, I guess the colors and the notes would be pretty international too, but I like it it's I like that idea of that it doesn't matter what language you speak you would be able to at least um you know translate and and utilize that UI right Yeah yeah and I think it it has to be a system either way that is amenable to an approach of trial and error for people who just don't necessarily know how that stuff is going to work and and won't be able to put the time in I I say this from the perspective of somebody who's watched people play the most recent Resident Evil game, which at one point, as you're exploring this castle, requires you to play certain notes on a piano in order to get an item out of it. And the majority of people I've seen play uh, get to that puzzle, a musical staff opens up with a few notes in front of them and a piano keyboard in front of them, and they instantly go, oh no. <laughs> and they're like, it's a, it's a music puzzle, and I don't have the first clue how to solve it. But then... As they press notes in the keyboard, the note that they are pressing shows up as like a red blob underneath the note that they're trying to get to. And they just kind of, by trial and error, go up the piano keyboard until they reach the right note. And then it locks in. And then they're like, oh, thank God, I can just brute force this <laughs> instead of having to <laughs> having to remember what series of notes this is to play it in sequence. But I've definitely seen a few people I- immediately downcast at the idea that they have to understand music to get through this puzzle. And so, yeah, I, I think as long as whatever approach they take to the LA and note block interaction as long as it has an element of trial and error to it, then hopefully that'll be friendly enough for most players to understand. So, I mean, I know you have a musical background. I, I used to play. Uh, and uh, in my teenage years, I moved from from 
musical notation to like tablature for guitar. Mm-hmm. So I'm rusty. You know, it's it's like asking me to conjugate French verbs from grade four. Like, I might be able to follow along with a, <laughs> with a grade school class, but I'm not going to be talking in French anytime soon. Uh, and so I could probably take the time and write out the notes that I'm seeing on a staff, but I can't sight read. My mom can. My mom plays in concert bands like flutes yeah. and violin and stuff. And it's a skill. I, I always wish I had taken the time to learn how to play the piano or have a solo musical instrument that I could mess around with at home. Uh, because there's just that extra layer of creativity. And, and I think that because of the new music that has been coming out in, in recent weeks with, with Minecraft and the new tracks and stuff, like, I feel like that the allay might be another way to kind of carry that new sound, a new vibe back into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I like the idea of music being more integrated into the Minecraft experience and being more of a, like uh, a factor that affects the world instead of just having easter egg stuff like you know parrots dancing when you put a note block uh, a jukebox on rather mm-hmm. like a music disc stuff like that i I do, I do think there is there is potential for music to have more like active implications for the world around it which is one of the things that the allay is going to provide uh, again it's just it's just a matter of how accessible that ends up being when the LA is introduced, but uh, still a long way to go before that. So uh, we'll see what happens when the snapshots start rolling out. Earlier this week, you mentioned that you're retiring the hardcore survival guide. And I thought a good main discussion for the week would be the waiting game. Like, how are we spending the next few weeks in Minecraft leading up to the release of Caves and Cliffs Part 2 with Minecraft 1.18? Because it looks like the snapshots are going to have a lot of changes happening with world gen and it might not be the best time to like roll your world forward. It's always going to be better to wait until these changes are done. And then if you're updating a world, go forward. Or if you're starting a new world again, it might be better just to wait until obviously that, that 118 is is out. So are we taking a break? Are we pausing big projects? Uh, are we racing to the finish for current projects? Like what what is your current plan of attack for Minecraft and I guess in specific terms Minecraft content you know for for our viewers uh, respectively yeah it's so tempting to take the approach of like I want to get everything done because if you know more or less when the end is coming then you want to be able to prepare for that and you want to be able to wrap everything up neatly with a bow and let me tell you this happens maybe one out of every 50 times you attempt it uh because it's it's so difficult we, we've talked before about the fact that the work in a minecraft world never really feels finished there's always something you can do and even if you've reached a point where you know when you know, the, the cutoff date is for something that you want to get done before the next update. There's always stuff that you can tweak and, you know, other stuff comes up in the meantime. You run out of resources, you have to do some more mining. It, it gets very difficult to really feel like things are finished. In Empires, which is kind of the main world that I'm working on now that the Hardcore Survival Guide is retired, I mostly just want to make sure the Ant Hill is done. And obviously it's being made more difficult now by the fact that Elytra use is currently off the table, but it's still a huge task in itself, not least because I have chosen a great deal of more difficult to acquire materials to build it with. Um, So getting hold of enough dripstone for this has been a bit of a challenge for a start. Um, But my main focus on empires has always been building decoration and immersive details for the world. 
And in my preferred way to play Minecraft, I like to break that stuff up with other activities. I like to, you know, if I get bored or burnt out or I'm just not creatively inspired with what I'm building at the time, I go and build a farm or I go mining for a while or I explore bits of the world to figure out where my next project is going to be. But with, you know, the end definitely in sight at this point, I need to focus on that building stuff. I'm going to be linking together some of the other stuff that's been built in the area with paths and maybe some smaller structures in between and green areas and then maybe doing a little bit of terraforming around the rivers that I've started but haven't really, you know, gone ahead and done for a full day to get done what I would need to. So it's really going to be a matter of like, you know, knuckling down and getting some of this stuff done and trying to avoid procrastination um, but still trying to stretch my legs in between because otherwise I just feel like by the time 1.18 comes out, I'll be sick of building and I won't want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, so it's going to be interesting finding that balance. Um, in the case of your world though, Joel, you're moving the Citadel on to the next update. So in theory, and I presume this is what you've, you've said you were going to be doing, you're going to be at least continuing your medieval town into the next update a little way if you feel like you know it, it just needs that final push to get it done right yeah i think uh i mean there's no way it would be ever finished before the next update comes out because i, I it took me half the year with i want to say what an eight week break this summer when i did the moss farm and i did the the copper farm um from a technical perspective i took a, a break from the build then but it's really taken a long time and it's only half the town so if i'm going to do another half the town which is arguably going to be bigger uh it's going to be another while before it's it's finished and that's fine like i don't i don't want to rush it because it's nice uh sometimes to just kind of like log into minecraft and as long as i'm in the mood for medieval building i just hit next like to figure out which building i'm going to try like what's next on the task list so i don't mm -hmm. have to come up with anything new um but i would like to finish the main gate road, the the place that I'm on now, the 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 the, the builds that I shared this week, because um, that I think will at least when you walk into the main gate, it's going to feel from as far as your eye can see finished, right? It's not going to be until you go up around the bend over the hill by the keep that you realize, oh, half the town is still grass and and cobblestone, um, but the other half is going to feel very done. So my my kind of like immediate goal is just kind of to polish up that that initial area in there because uh, I might want to switch gears like I might decide I do feel like I'm going to need a break sometime soon and it's a new update it's going to be fun to go explore and see if you can find a mountain um, and I need some more resources like I'm running desperately low on deep slate uh, and I know that in a few short weeks it's going to be way easier to get <laughs> yeah yeah abundant <laughs> you know? yeah yeah and I won't have to go anywhere like I will just be able to dig down under the keep like I can just have it local i don't need to go into new chunks necessarily to get deep slate and to get some of those new blocks so um well not that we don't have access now but we'll have more access um so i'm not i'm not planning on anything uh, too crazy there i know on the server um and i will double check that with server mates this week that we're not exploring currently like no one's running around looking for the next spot for their new build because it just means more chunks i'm going to have to trim yeah and and figure out who went where and why and all that kind of stuff later so for now i think a lot of people are just kind of like being patient and waiting to see where they might want to move on and um i know some of us like 
we all have some large scale builds and permanent areas that are just going to get deeper. So like there's going to be more opportunity to explore without really having to travel too far afield, which is really neat. It's a cool idea that, you know, the bedrock is going to be replaced with some deep slate and that you can go down and, and possibly find a new cave, possibly find a new mine shaft. Like I'm not sure what's going to be down there. So that's going to be interesting. Um, as far as other projects are going to go, uh, the modern city of Southport hasn't seen or been touched in a long time. And I really like that, that build. And again, it's a well-established group of chunks that are not going to be trimmed in any way. So um, there's no reason why I couldn't just switch gears, you know, maybe wait for more medieval stuff to happen later on. And I'll just go back and work on the Southport build for a while. Uh, that could be a possibility. Uh, it might also be something that I try to do, when 118 comes out because um, I might want the darker bricks. I might want to see if I can get a mountain nearby or, or something to kind of inform how I'm going how that Southport build is going to go. Unfortunately, I think that all the chunks in render distance are loaded. So I don't want any like biome lines changing. Like I don't want yeah. the spruce forest to change into a desert or something. So I know that that's a risk. I, w I will have some time when the, when the, um, Maybe I don't know if I'm going to test it in the snapshots. That might be a decent idea, but I, I I'm going to have to do a couple different versions of chunk trimming to see what happens. Like there's going to be yeah. a safe version, and then there's going to be like the I'm going to go super tight to this build and just see what happens. Like, do I draw a big desert line down through a, a dark oak forest, or is this actually going to look moderately cool? Um, because if I can get bigger hills and mountains closer to the builds that we have now, I think that everybody will will be happy. Yeah, no, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to do a bit of trial and error with that to begin with. And especially if you, you've got access to the backups, you can just copy those, clone them a couple of times, and any changes you make to the world aren't going to be permanently destructive to, to your server. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, unfortunately, because of the way most Minecraft worlds generate, people won't have been prepared for this and had the idea that, say, the Hermitcraft server has, where they're keeping everything on one continent that happens to be encircled by oceans so that they can just trim around the oceans. There are going to be land areas where you'll have to blend from one type of terrain to inevitably another when the uh, biome changes happen. So I do think that, you know, you can do that sort of tactically in a way. Like, if you, if you were somebody who has a long-running world and you really don't want to have these major biome clashes you could try it out for the first time by trimming chunks around the areas that you've already been you could like load that up in one of the snapshots where the biomes are pretty fixed now see where that border lies see how it interacts and then even go back into the world explore a little bit further before you update it and then see what the new updated kind of area looks like so that there's there's potential for you to do that through a bit of a trial and error process so that you get something that works better if your world is larger though of course that's going to be a very expansive thing to do uh because you will have a much larger border around the entire thing yeah for us it's more about like little micro borders like there's southport's got its own little border Dartmouth Meadows and that continent has its own little border. And then the medieval realm has its own border. And then everything else that we flagged is like, hey, the the um, you know, Ming Dynasty area can be here. We've not built anything there. So there's no reason to save it. 
right? It's just, it's, yeah. it was a cool thing for me to find the coordinates. I might end up losing that spot, but that's fine because there'll be other jungles. There'll be other places that I could build that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the thing that I'm questioning is like what I might do if I'm able to finish this main gate road in the next couple of weeks and there's still some more time before Caves and Cliffs comes out. At that point, I might even want to step away from the Citadel for a bit. Uh, I still haven't had the time to cross-reference and compile the mods I'm interested in to try some modded Minecraft, but I like the idea of like bio mods and things that are, you know, completely changing the way that the world looks like the end has like all this bioluminescent stuff, uh, you know, fall foliage in the overworld would be nice considering it's fall in the Northern hemisphere right now. Um, that would be kind of a fun thing, but I'm always torn between like all those biome mods or the best ones, the best looking ones being in one sixteen five, And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to go back. Like I kind of want to yeah. keep playing in the modern world. Um, and a lot of the tech mods, which are pretty popular, you can start to play some stuff like that in one seventeen one, but then your world just looks the same. Like I, if I'm going to play modded Minecraft, I kind of want it to look super different. And so you're at the the whim of these, uh, these mods, either not being updated or not being ready for, for one seventeen one. So, uh, I've been trying to hold off a little bit, but I, I might have to just pull the trigger. And there's always that battle between like, should I start with a pack and add my own stuff and try to make it my own? Or should I just be like, whatever, I'm just going to let somebody else decide what mods are best for this pack and just play a pack. Um, yeah. But I, I think because I build so much, in the citadel right now i'd like to do something for gameplay i'd like a tech thing like i i don't necessarily want a bunch of new blocks to build cool looking things i'd really like to explore like a tech mod like applied energistics or just like a, something cool with like tubes and items and furnaces and something fun like that i think would be a great break from what i'm doing on the citadel so that when caves and cliffs does come out and i'm returning to the citadel i'm excited to go back right like i'm excited mm -hmm. to jump into the new update explore a little bit around the area and see what we can find. And I think the first thing I'm going to do when I get into caves and cliffs is probably go on a big resource gathering mission, because like I said, I'm running low on a bunch of stuff and I think I need to reorganize and start dedicating like entire shark shulker boxes to deep slate, as opposed to having it in there with like blackstone and other stuff that, you know, cause I've not ever had that much of it. So that yeah. could be a, a thing. And along the way, you can find huge veins of copper and see if you can, you know, start incorporating more of that into your builds. And there's there's all sorts of, uh, you know, things that you will discover along the way. Like, I'm I'm pretty excited to have more abundant access to dripstone after having had to use so much of it for the for the anthill. But um, yeah, like for me, I'm I, I entirely agree for a start with not wanting to go back to earlier versions to to play modded because you get so used to the little quality of life changes and some of the features that are in stuff like um, 1.17. Now, even going back to 1.16.5 to play bingo has been weird because I break an iron ore block with a regular pickaxe and the iron ore block drops instead of dropping raw iron. And I'm like, wait right. a minute, Minecraft used to be like this? It's been six months. I don't know how I've like acclimatized to that so fast, but... Yeah, it's 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 very strange going back to some of those things. Somebody in in my my Discord earlier was reminiscing that the um the the early episodes of Survival Guide have me placing chests and trap chests next to each other because you couldn't put two regular chests side by side in 1.13. And so going back to a modded landscape where that is the the you know the the behavior that you have to do at least until you get like a bunch of fancy gold chests that have three times the storage space or whatever it's it's a very weird process 
Um, I've been looking forward a lot more than backwards, though. I've been stepping into the snapshots a little more often to get a feel for the new surface terrain and caves and ore distribution and the progression of a fresh start, because really my time at this point is spent thinking about preparing for Survival Guide Season 2. Um, I am learning to expect the unexpected from 1.18, because the new terrain obviously feels much more diverse, and I've noticed a bunch of the spawn points in new worlds that I generate feel more diverse as well. I want to start a random seed for this project, because part of what I want the lesson to be in the early days of Survival Guide is adapting to your environment and making use of where resources are, so I kind of want to be surprised, but I am crossing my fingers that I don't generate in a broad stretch of badlands at my spawn point, or, you know, there, there have been some spawns that have put me in an ice plane spikes biome, which is the first time I've ever spawned in one of those in a, in a fresh survival world, probably ever. Um, frozen oceans occasionally, but never an ice spike. So that's that's been really fun to to figure out and, and then figure out, okay, where do I go to get trees <laughs> to start off with? Um, turns out the game is pretty good at finding you a spot that is still near to a tree, but even then it's, it's a struggle sometimes. And like, there are some things where dropping me on the side of a mountain is actually a really good start because even though there's no flat ground for you to build an easy you know, starter house on, I think, okay, maybe there's some caves around that I can hide in. Maybe if I go further up the mountain, I start to encounter more iron. So that's a good approach to, you know, early stages of a world. And I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to figure out where the touchstones are of the new early game progression now. And so a lot of my time between now and 1.18 is going to be spent figuring out 1.18 and and spending a little bit of time with that also putting together some graphics for season two because i want to look at have it have it have a, a distinct visual style from season one so that people aren't confused when they go to my channel and see minecraft survival guide episode 30 or something when i'm still uploading four five and six like i, I want it to to at least be recognizable from from the outside at least and that's the thing right like you want to make sure that you're ready for that kind of stuff. And I, I'm always cautious about people that are like drilling in and trying to pump out this build before the server resets or before they want to start a new world and they want to finish it. And I mean, at one point, like when, when a new Minecraft update comes out, you want to be excited to play it. And I don't know if burning yourself out on Minecraft going into that, right, is necessarily... Yeah, the best. I'm not saying you specifically. I mean, like the the, the yeah. royal, the royal <laughs> you out there. One in general, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, because I find that a lot of times, you know, you have we all, you and I both get those questions about like, what should I do in Minecraft? I'm I'm done with what I'm doing, or I'm kind of bored. And I mean, when you've got this this slowdown in the in the cycle on this kind of wait, where people are kind of like waiting for the new thing to come out, like playing other games is a good way to do it too, you know, like spend your time reading or, or watching cool stuff on, on Netflix. And for me, like I've just been pulled in by satisfactory update five and uh, I'm spending more time in it now that I am in Minecraft since the end of October, since the update for satisfactory came out, because again, new update to that game, new excitement. Right. And so I think one of the things that you can do is, is use that time between the update cycle to, kind of revitalize your visual library because if you're doing anything creative even if the game that you're playing is another kind of creative game 
then you're going to just end up with new ideas and stuff that you can bring back into Minecraft. Like maybe you watch a cool anime, you know, and you decide, oh, wow, like that, that spaceship that they had in that is going to inspire the shape of my next redstone farm when I get back into Minecraft in a couple of weeks. Like I think that it's important to try and stretch your legs and, and bring in more stuff. Now, that's different than the behind the scenes prep. Like, I mean, that stuff has to happen for, you know, you and I with content creation. But um, I think for the general player, stepping outside of Minecraft for a little bit as things slow down is not a bad idea either. Yeah, definitely. Like, Has playing Satisfactory on Twitch been uh, inspiring you to build factory stuff in Minecraft? Do you feel like you have a better aesthetic understanding? Or is it more like escapism from the Minecraft mindset that you have to apply to building a town like West Hill? I get angles in Satisfactory. So there's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a, a scratch happening there where it's just like, mm -hmm. I can build something at a 45 degree angle. This is <laughs> yeah. magical. I yeah, can make, uh -huh. there are triangles in this game. What in the world is going on? Cursed, uh, cursed triangles. Yes. <laughs> Fire upon um, them. But what I, what I, so what I like about Satisfactory is that it has a very brutalist kind of style. If you're familiar with that architecture style, then it, it lends itself very well to very big, imposing concrete type structures. Uh, and I want to try and do more like that in Minecraft. It's kind of making me think like I've been doing this kind of stuff where you're like, you're making houses and the pillar in the house is one Minecraft block. Mm -hmm. Whereas the pillars in satisfactory, those blocks are eight meters by eight meters by four meters. Uh -huh. So, and then sometimes I'm building with more than one of those. So to think about something like that in Minecraft, knowing we have so much more space in the caves, knowing that we have so much more clearance in the overworld, I'd love to take that kind of brutalist idea and see if I can't translate it into something where the pillars in a structure are eight blocks wide, you know, yeah. uh, like make an ocean monument look like a pipsqueak and just try to do something <laughs> really, really heavy looking. And that could be, maybe that's how I approach the sci-fi build that I want to do. Maybe that's how I just do my next, you know, maybe my next redstone farm looks like a bar Borg cube. I don't know. But I, I just, I feel... I feel the chunkiness of, of other games like Satisfactory kind of weaseling their way back into my Minecraft brain. The other thing that I, that I think and why I'm being pulled into looking into more modded Minecraft is that the automation that happens in Satisfactory is very cool. And so having bigger builds in Minecraft would allow way more room for things like waterways to be seen, for redstone contraptions, for space between things. And I think one of the things that I, I've had my eyes open to is that in Satisfactory, you build things big or plan things big and then double it because you're going to need that space. You're just going to run into so much crossover unless you give yourself loads of room. And in, I think it's something that I need to try and do in Minecraft for as a test is like I keep on building at the player scale in Minecraft. And I think I want to try to build just a little bit larger in, in some next project where, yeah, it might take me a little bit longer to, to get from what point A to point B, but we've got a light It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think in the long run, I could end up with getting more detail into Minecraft because that's where I'm getting frustrated. If I'm going to say I'm getting frustrated with Minecraft in any way, it's the fact that I don't have enough sub blocks or that two sub blocks can't occupy the same space. Like I can't put a fence and a, a trap door in the same block space. I have to decide which one I want. Mm -hmm. And being able to, if I was it was if I was building at a larger scale, that fence that I need to create a, a, a like a pillar out of, I could use a full block, or I could use a two by two pillar of blocks, and then my level of detail can be much greater, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's always about expanding stuff to fit Minecraft's 
like level of detail rather mm-hmm. than trying to shrink Minecraft down to wanting stuff to be player scale and and that's why like you look at creative builds and they're always massive because they have to fit in the level of detail that they need to accomplish that vision in the first place and so yeah it's it makes sense it's difficult to adapt to survival because obviously you have to get all of the materials yourself and especially if you're playing satisfactory and you're used to just kind of pointing at a wall and saying hey another wall needs to go there and it just goes from you know a handful of materials and steel or whatever in your inventory um and so yeah doing that in minecraft doesn't really seem as feasible but that's the grind that's the way the way Minecraft goes, everything is placed sort of one block at a time. So, yeah, I think one block at a time is the way we're all going to have to take 1.18, especially with how <laughs> expanded the scale is. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with taking a bit of a break and looking at other games and looking at the visual style of other stuff and kind of expanding your your scope. Um, and when you need some downtime, I'm finding that stuff like games like Bingo have been fun for me to just play for like a short burst of, of like a, you know either a a warm-up a cool down or just procrastination frankly between sessions on something like empires when i have a larger project it kind of blows the cobwebs out a little bit and allows me to refocus after that once i've just kind of you know had a moment of dashing around a survival world madly trying to find stuff it it feels better to come back to a build after having put all of my focus elsewhere and on, on that kind of fresh start mentality for a while. But uh, I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, folks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can chat with like-minded Minecraft players, and it also gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our listeners. Uh, We're currently at 312 patrons, which is just down one from last week, but last week was record-breaking numbers, so looking forward to hopefully hitting those again real soon. A special thanks this week go out to our content engineer patrons, bramsey 718 Hunter555, JumboSale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Post, uh, personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them they should listen to the show. And they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash PixelRiffs, where, of course, we are working on Empire's SMP. The Ant Hill will hopefully slowly be growing. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series and occasionally playing Minecraft Bingo, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram, and look out for me on Twitch Rivals later on this week, where I'll be co-commentating... Uh, Minecraft's Minecraft UK event. Uh, Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at the Citadel 
podcasts at thecitadelcafe.com. That's going to be uh, coming out this week on Wednesday, where I'm going to be talking with Lou about Arcane, the new animated series on Netflix based on League of Legends. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm currently playing a lot of Satisfactory and a lot of Minecraft and looking forward to new game releases over the holidays. We'll see what's coming up. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, so we can wait a little longer.